How long would you last in the untamed wilderness if you found yourself completely naked? Personally, I'd last somewhere between dying of dehydration on day three and getting eaten by a mountain lion in hour one. But my expert today has done it for over 200 days without needing to be rescued. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is EJ Snyder. EJ may be better recognized by his nickname Skull Crusher, or from his numerous appearances as a fan favorite on the hit Discovery Channel show Naked and Afraid, where he has the longest total time naked in the wilderness, the most successes, no tap-outs, and all of this as their oldest contestant. He has also trained army rangers and been an instructor for the legendary Seer School. All in all, you will not find a better candidate to discuss how to survive with little to no gear, including clothing. He's literally the number one ranked survivalist. Let's try not to die in the woods. Welcome to the show, EJ Snyder. Hey, Colton, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really glad to be here today with you and your audience and uh, look forward to it. Yeah, I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for the audience? Okay, for those of you who don't know me, my name is EJ Snyder. Uh, I go by a nickname called Skull Crusher. I've had that quite a bit of my life. I uh, grew up in uh, North Jersey in some pretty uh, poor conditions. I was a poor kid. At 19, I joined the United States Army. When in the army, it was uh, one of my dreams. Uh, the other was to be on TV. And uh, so I pursued a career in the army and I wound up staying longer than I figured I would. And I did 25 years, served in the 91 Gulf War. And then again, in Operation Iraqi Freedom from 2004 to 2005 for 15 months. I'm a highly decorated uh, airborne ranger in the army. I was a drill sergeant, a ranger instructor, and a survival instructor, and a tracking instructor. And I've been an outdoorsman since I was five years old. Uh, After I left the military, I was a contract instructor for the Special Warfare Center at Fort Bragg, where I taught future Green Berets and other different soldiers how to survive behind enemy lines if captured. Uh, That went from everything from resisting different exploitation techniques and things like that they may find themselves in captivity but as well as how to escape and evade capture and wilderness survival wilderness survival has been my jam ever since and i teach it privately now uh, you can go to ejstar.com and request a private uh, quote for private classes uh, i've got all kinds of survival gear over there and so i've built myself up to do many different things uh and i shortly found myself on tv with discovery channel mostly where i've been doing a lot of consulting and different things like that uh six times i was on the tv show naked afraid i've got 206 days no taps on that challenge i was the first one ever do it and uh the oldest one now which i don't know how i feel about that uh accolade but uh i also was a host of dual survival season nine a host of a show called uh, Mountain Masters. I've done a bunch of scripted television and stunt works as well. Most notably, I was on the TV show Lost. I do a lot of motivational speaking. I'm a published writer, soon to be a published author, and uh, do a lot of consulting. I'm a businessman and entrepreneur, and 
a uh, man of many hats. So when they, you see that guy holding the Dosecchi's bottle, uh, know that I am the most interesting man in the world, not him. <laughs> yes, that is certainly true. You're a man of many, many talents at this point. Yes, sir. And, and before I get too far into this, where did Skull Crusher come from? Well, it's a nickname that, uh, you know, as I was growing up in school, as a young man, I was uh, bullied quite a bit. I was not six foot three, 250 pounds uh, at that point in my life. I was <laughs> quite skinny, quite emotional, was going through a lot of things in life. And the kids found me an easy target. So I was lucky enough not just to have one bully, but a whole pack of bullies. So I started learning uh, wrestling in school. My stepfather started teaching me how to box. I couldn't afford karate lessons of any type. So when my friends would go to these different forms of martial arts, they would come back and I'd tell them, hey, teach me what you learned. And I would learn Taekwondo, Judo, Aikido, uh, Jiu-Jitsu, whatever they learned, that's what I was learning. And um, I just was trying to build up my own self-confidence to stand up for myself. And uh, so I, I, I did that and I stood up to these bullies. And after I, you know, my mom always said, never throw a first punch. Always you have the right to defend yourself. So once I had the first punch thrown at me, then I knew it was game on. And, you know, and I took care of that. I went after the biggest bully that that was in the group. And uh, shortly after that, the head of the snake, who was quite smaller than him, decided he wanted to jump in. So. Uh, if you want to get rid of a snake, you cut the head off. So that's what I did. So fast forward into the army. Uh, I was in a barracks party uh, that we would have from time to time. And there was a guy that used to get really uh, too intoxicated for his own good. And he was known to sucker punch guys all the time. And I was talking to one of my friends. All of a sudden, a fist goes flying right by my head, pops my friend. He goes down. I get all concerned. I see who it is I sh uh, um, that did the punch. So I turn around, I shove that guy down on the ground and I go to tend to my friend and his whole eyebrow was just popped open. He's going to need some stitches and I stand him up and I'm like, oh man, we're going to have to get you fixed up. We're going to have to go to the hospital. You, you got to get some stitches. And before I knew it, I feel a piece of glass of some sort shatter on the back of my head. I don't know to this day if it was a beer mug or a beer bottle, but uh, it was quite full if it was. And, uh, all of a sudden, my eyes just filled up with battle lust, uh, got beat red, turned around. Here was the fool that I just put on the ground, told him to stay away. And I'm like, dude, you're better off sandpapering a grizzly bear's to mess with me. And I jumped on him and, and started going off on him. And uh, it was very short-lived. I, I threw probably about five or six punches at him in the, in the face. And the, everyone pulled me off. And I didn't mind him any. I took my friend to the hospital to get some stitches. Well, in the next day, I was going to the formation area, and as it, we would have in, in any in the military, you get a lot of nicknames, and everyone's like, "Hey, Skull Crusher, what's up, Skull Crusher?" And I'm like, "What the heck is going on?" So I get down to my uh, uh, platoon formation, and another guy, my buddy behind me in the ranks, he, he leans over, he goes, "Hey, Skull Crusher, nice job," and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And, and he and he points down the end. So I look about three formation platoon formation down to the right. And there was the guy and he had his face all patched up. And apparently I fractured a few of his cheekbones uh, in the process. So, uh, uh, you know, it's not, not, not something I tell people to be proud about, but it was something that had to be done. And, and he never ever uh, sucker punched anyone ever again. So I've outside the, you know, outside the ring and combat, uh, I've never thrown a first punch in my life, but I've thrown a lot of last punches. Yeah, certainly. Well, and, you know, it's one of those things that just stuck with you, kind of like 
you know, all of this, the survivalist work, when did that turn from just like, you know, your job in the military into a passion? Well, like I said earlier, I was uh, an outdoorsman since I was five years old. Uh, when my folks divorced very young, my dad, when he would pick us up on the weekends or have us for the summers, he was a big outdoorsman. He should have never uh, been in New Jersey. He was uh, he was a misplaced cowboy is what I call him. He should have been in Colorado or somewhere, probably born in the wrong time period. But he would take us out hunting and fishing, trapping, we'd canoe, camp, just get in the outdoors. That's where he you know, he felt most comfortable. And, uh, you know, when I would do that, when I'd come out of the woods on the weekends and I knew it was going back to, you know, my city life and getting bullied, that didn't thrill me too much. And I really found peace in the outdoors and never wanted to really leave. So when I would be back home during the week, I would, me and my kid brother would always find ourselves down the marshes or somewhere where there were woods where we could mess around with things that were wild. And that's where I felt most comfortable. And I went into scouting for a while, but it was, you know, they weren't in the outdoors as much as I thought they would be. And um, so I really loved the outdoors. So once I got in the military and I was in the infantry, we we're always outside. And that just really thrilled the heck out of me. And so when I was in ranger school to help me try to stay awake, because we didn't, you know, you, you really didn't get a lot of sleep during that, that process of uh, the ranger school. I would look at the Army Ranger Handbook, and in there, there was a survival section, which I would always read and read over and read over, and it talked about the different climates of survival, like the desert versus the jungle, and I just absolutely just, that's when it became a passion, and I was like, I need to know more about this, so I wound up becoming a Ranger instructor in Florida, and then they needed someone to take over the survival training down there and i got a that got assigned to me and they sent me off to the army seer school which is our survival school and uh, i also went to a tracking course and i came back and revamped the program and uh you know for three years i got to teach this skill and i thought that that was one of the best schools you anyone could ever go to not just for the army but for their life and i wanted to teach more people how to be able to survive bad days and my only goal was to be the baddest man on the planet and to be able to survive uh, the worst days ahead and, and help those that are around me that I love also get through it. And um, when people say, Hey, I go out with just a knife, man, I'm, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's not that easy. You're full of beans. I actually have done it with no clothes on. And I felt that was the greatest example I could give people about surviving that I taught. And I was like, look, you're complaining. You have gear, you have clothes, try doing it without a single lick of clothing or, you know, or any gear. And, and I, I got to the point where I could actually, I feel comfortable enough to go out into the wild with nothing and be okay. And uh, one other caveat, quick little fact, people always ask why they can afraid, why no clothes? And they say, that's really stupid. It's like, well, you're right. You might not find your way out there without clothing, but when you take away clothing, that's your first layer of shelter. After that, it's the, your your skin, which it, once it's penetrated, you you know infection gets in there and whatever. And uh, not only are you physically bare, but you're emotionally and psychologically bare, and that's a really tough thing to go through. And uh, and one other mark I made in this world, I did a caveat and reach the number one ranked survivalist in the world according to the the tens top tens list. So, you know, when I go after anything in life, it's about mindset, whether it's survival life, whatever, you know, sports, sporting event. 
and I will not be defeated. I will not surrender. If you put a wall in front of me with the skull crusher attitude, if I can't go around it, over it or under it, I'm going right through it. And so it's about attitude. It's about having a winning mindset and, and staying positive. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's one of those standout items on your resume where people are like, does that say naked and afraid? And you're like, yes. And it says it more than once, which is entirely unusual. Right, right. And you did that for 200 and how many days? I've got 206 days logged currently and still counting. I was supposed to have gone out last year for last one standing, but my daughter was getting married and they kept pushing the end date to the right. And I just got to the point where I had to pull out. And then um, I was supposed to go back out for their second season. Uh, but my mother um, is going through some health issues. Uh, she's doing fine, um, but uh, very serious. And I had to act on whether, you know, I didn't have a lot of information. So I had to, I had to make my decision based on the worst case scenario. And uh, that said that I should not go. I needed to stay close to home. And after, you know, after I made that decision a week later, it was confirmed. I did the right thing. So uh, I'll be back out there. It's just not going to be uh, for another year or so, maybe sooner. But uh, I do plan on going back out. So obviously, like you said, you know, there is an extra challenge level, you know, in not having any form of shelter, including your clothing. Is that like the extra challenge that's something that drives you forward when you're like oh now now the pressure's on like now i have to succeed yeah it really does and that's a good point and you know it's it's uh up in the ante you know and people would say you think i'd had enough uh here about to be turning 58 in about five days here and from now uh from the time we're recording this uh and i look at my life and i go you know i'm going to keep sucking the bone marrow out of it i'm uh, age is just a number i represent my generation i inspire millions of people across the globe uh young and old and of all backgrounds and it's like you know you can do whatever you set your mind to you don't have to be a survivalist you know if you're fighting a drug addiction and you want to kick it you can if it's gambling if it's uh whatever you you can find the answers within yourself you just got to believe in yourself and and challenge yourself to the next level i mean on my fifth challenge, I was on the 60-day challenge in Louisiana in the Atchafalaya Swamp base, uh, Basin, late fall, early winter, cold as heck. We're sitting in a swamp. I was by myself for about two weeks, and I got to day 27. I was trying to improve my situation by uh, clearing a bunch of lilies out of the way to make a pond on, on the, uh, the uh, swamp channel. And the fish would come up to the surface much better when the, when the lilies were out of the way. So I was trying to clear this uh a pond for myself, a nice fishing hole, 50 yards by 100 yards. And while I was moving along a tree about 12 foot above the water, clearing these lilies out where it was a lot deeper, um, I fell off the tree. The, the limb broke, and in the water I went. And in the process, I speared my right testicle and had two big gaping gashes in my right testicle. And you could see everything in it. And uh, for me, it was, you know, they came up to me and they offered me to go to the hospital and I would be out of the challenge and I could go home and no threat of infection, you know, no chance of losing my life or my manhood. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound, well, what's my other option? He could say, well, you could stay here in this dirty, wet, swamp, cold, uh, not, not very clean, possibly get infection, maybe lose your testicles or lose your life. And I was like, well, I get to stay in a the challenge. They're like, yes. And I was like, well, I'll take that door. Thanks. And uh, without any pain meds, I had them just stitch me up there on the spot. 
I uh, was yelling at them because it was getting quite late and I still needed to get firewood and it was a very cold, wet swamp. And I did not want to have myself freezing at night. And they did as, a job as fast as they could. I told them if they wouldn't hurry up, I'd do it myself. And uh, I wound up staying another 33 days, made the 60 days. That's that's the measure of E.J. Snyder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a what a harrowing experience when you're like, hey, you can get through whatever challenge is in front of you because I did 33 days in a swamp after spearing my testicle yeah. and, and not getting any treatment. So you're like, it could be worse. Yes, it can. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you maintain that level of, you know, physical exertion and just drive to keep pushing forward for the extended periods of time like that? The mind's an incredible thing, and the spirit, you know, when you get in a flight and you hear fight and flight, um, you hear different things about an iron will and this grit. You know, I think my whole life has been shaped around forming, building me up for these moments and to be where I'm at in this world, to make, you know, to be at my calling now. And, you know, I don't think I would have went through all the bumps and bruises and tough stuff I went through as a kid if it wasn't meant to harden me up. And to know that I when you know, I have a, a motto, hard times don't last, but hard folks do. And, you know, we don't do favors with people in this world by coddling them, worrying about their snowflake emotions. None of those things help people. What helps people is when you give them, people want to be challenged and they want tough standards. If they don't, then they're lying or they're just a, a, a lifelong slacker and they'll never, they'll always be a beta. I'm an alpha. I'll always be an alpha. You know, I go out there with folks half my age and most of the time have more energy and, and outwork them any day of the week. And they're always like, you should sit down and relax. It's like, no, nah, so I'm out here experiencing everything. There's, there's no reason I'll rest when I'm dead. You know, there's no, I, I'll get the rest I need. But we, you know, when I go on these challenges, I'm, you know, I look at it as it's a very limited time that I'm out there. Even 60 days, I get 24 hours a day for 60 days and then it's done. So, you know, I spend my life living also out in the wilderness, doing these things. I spend over 200 days out of the year on the road uh, training uh, for survival, training uh, for adventure, doing uh, videos to share through all my social medias, whether it be YouTube or, or one of the other ones, Instagram or Twitter or now X or, uh, or, or Facebook. And I'm known now as the king of the one minute of survival tips. So find me on Facebook or YouTube at EJ Snyder, Instagram X clapper and TikTok at EJ Snyder three, three, three. And so all I want to do is give people the tools to, you know, get through whatever they're going through. It doesn't have to be a survival situation. You just need to become mentally tough and, and, and believe in yourself and know that you'll be okay and develop some grit and a, and a little bit of willing in your heart and the, the military call it intestinal fortitude to just get to keep driving on and know that all hope is not lost. Never give up hope because there's always one more thing you can do, whether it's a survival situation or something you're going through in life, you know, for me, it's just like, yeah, things can get really, I've been having my back up against the wall and things can get really, really tough, but a negative energy is not going to help the situation. I always try to stay positive and throw positive energy out uh, through uh, into the universe, you know, I, I'm very spiritual. I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation, uh, in the morning. I try to start off every day that way. And I try to close out my day the same way. And, uh, 
you know, it's really helped me in my life. And speaking of morning routines that have helped me, the show sponsor today, Magic Mind, has been my newest go-to. I just pop the top off of one of these little shot bottles and down it before I'm even done thinking about making my morning caffeine. And speaking of caffeine, this scientific wonder juice has me dropping from my usual 200 milligrams throughout the day to just about 50 milligrams in the morning. It's also turned my whole opinion on matcha upside down, and all of the natural things in it are for more than just energy. They also keep you focused, in the moment, and improve your memory if you sometimes have a goldfish brain like I do. I'm even buying some of this to give to the less than productive people in my life. I wonder what they'll be like afterwards. Anyway, they have a great ongoing deal for my audience. If you buy Magic Mind by going to magicmind.com dumb, or just going to magicmind.com, and then using the code DUMB20 at checkout, you get 20% off anything in their store on any purchases. So go buy it now. Support the show, and more importantly, support yourself. That's magicmind.com dumb, and use the promo code DUMB20. That's D-U-M-B-2-0. Yeah, I had a recent guest who just said, uh, you know, time spent out is time spent in. Because he's like, while you're out there, you know, your body just starts to work. You know what you're doing. Obviously, you're extremely well trained. And so when you're doing like the small things, you know, your body's just going to do that. And it gives you some time to kind of reflect inward on, you know, who you are and what you stand for and develop a little bit of that resilience. Absolutely. Resiliency is, uh, is really a big key thing. The military preaches resiliency. Um, a lot of people ask, how do you develop mental toughness? To, to and They see me and they see it, but they don't understand it. And I really believe, again, like I said earlier, it comes through the, the experiences you go through in your life and how you handle them. And, you know, some things don't come out. They don't always turn out the right way. And I always look at it like this. Look, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And if you're learning you're just going to get better. And the next time this thing pops up, you're going to, you're going to have a little experience with you. Something to go, Oh, I remember when this happened before and I did this and that didn't work out so well. So let me readjust and try this. And so, um, I, I, I embrace those challenges and lessons in life because they're just going to make me better. Yeah. A bit of failing forward. Cause you're like, Hey, as long as it's forward momentum, we're still doing this. Exactly. So and I've stumbled through some things and found some great solutions before. So I wouldn't knock being a little clumsy in it. No, I mean the only way to to learn from anything is to actually do it, right? Like it's hard to yeah. put everything into perspective if you've never been there. Like I could yeah. watch Correct. all two hundred and six days of of your time on Naked and Afraid, but I'm not going to know how to handle getting speared, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's some things you have to learn the hard way. So, you know, obviously, like you said, you'd gone through SEER school and ranger training and everything else. Was there any things that just like clicked once you got out to Naked and Afraid and you're like, oh, I have no choice but to have zero gear? Yeah, that was kind of the big thing they played up on my very first episode I, I filmed in Tanzania. I was filming the pilot. I was brought out to not only 
actually survive 21 days with a with a strange woman, but to help consult and help produce the show. And uh, they're like, well, you're not going to have gear. And I'm like, well, that's just what it is. What it, well, I have, well, you have a knife. I'm like, okay. And it was really funny as they were building up to the show and, and um, trying to sell it to me. It was like every week they would call me or every couple of weeks we have a meeting. And it was like strip poker. They were taking one more thing away from me, another thing away from me, and this and that. So I was like, man, uh, I'm down to nothing. But what it did was when I survived that challenge, when I saw how I performed and what I went through, I didn't even wait for the show to air, although that did help. Um, I went right back and humbled myself to one of my good friends, Justin Smith, over at the uh, – he was teaching at the Wilderness Survival Branch of our school, and he was one of the best primitive survivalists I knew, and he still is one of the best uh, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to call a brother. And I had him take me through the ringer again. I've missed a few – I've forgotten a few things. I'm rusty. I need, I put myself uh, for my hour and a half lunches over there with him and, and subject myself to being retrained and, and humbled and, and getting better. And, you know, I could have just easily been arrogant with ego, but that doesn't work in the wild if you bring ego out there. And so I, you know, I humbled myself onto others and that's when greatness happens. And so he helped sure me back up on some things that I needed to sure myself up on. And so seven months later, I was called to go back out to the Amazon after three people quit. Me and Laura Zara went out there. She was another one that uh, did very well on their on the first season. And uh, we made a formidable team. She was one of the best bushcrafters I knew. And I had that, you know, mental toughness and that military drive. But I had stirred up my other things, you know, to where I could be back to being a very crafty and primitive type person. And I built us an amazing raft with Laura's help um, to get us out of the Amazon on extraction. And it's still to this day one of the you know greatest water vessels that Naked Afraid has ever seen. Although I've been proudly, I can say I've been on probably four or five of the best builds for watercraft uh, in the show's history. So uh, that's something I'm pretty, pretty good at. And I guess that comes from my days as being a kid and building all kinds of rafts. Yeah, certainly holding a lot of records and titles over there. And is there, I mean, we're, we're social creatures, right? By nature. Oh, yes. And so is there like a large tangible difference when you were out by yourself versus you know out with someone else actually there with you well it's like everything you got to train for those situations i find a lot of um joy in solitude so I, I i'm like my own best friend um i have a service dog that runs around with me now so that's kind of helps some things out when i'm out there but everyone's like why are you always out there oh you're out there with those squirrels and I'm like well sometimes they perhaps like squirrels better than people and uh so you have to, when you're by yourself, you have to find those things that keep your mind busy, keep your, keep your day scheduled and keep yourself going. And those, that's very important when you're by yourself and you have to be able to entertain yourself. And, and, and you, I sing, even though I'm not a great singer anymore. Um, I usually bring a drum with me to, to, to kind of tap uh, on the drum. It's, it's a hand drum like a bongo so to speak um and, and i just love birds and just i just experience nature to the fullest and commune with nature so when you're by yourself you have to you know praying's a big thing you have to you have to find a routine that works to keep your mind you know working because the laws of three say after about three months 
a person can start to go a little mad and you don't want that. And you're right. We are communal species as humans. And then there's also the joy of being with others. I find, you know, at first I was like, I'd rather be by myself. But what I found with others is that you have an opportunity to help somebody grow and they can help you grow. And then, you know, more hands, you know, yes, you, you've got more mouths to feed, but you've got ability to spread the workout where one person you're doing everything yourself. Um, when you have others, you have a responsibility to them. So, you know, for me, that keeps my risk levels a lot, a lot more calm, a lot less, because if I'm by myself, if I get messed up, I only have myself to, to worry about and to blame. And I'll have to, I'm not responsible to anyone but myself. So I'll probably take a lot more risk when I'm by myself. But, uh, uh, and so what I find with both scenarios, I find, you know, I find the good in each and, and, and I try to ebb and flow through both of those with that same mindset. You know, when I'm by myself, I know that I have to be my own best friend. I have to keep my mind busy and occupied and entertain myself. But when I'm with others, um, normally other people will always tend to occupy up some of that, 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 uh, idle time. So when you were doing training, you know, when you're training other people to like, you know, embrace some of this, the survival training to, you know, thrive and survive when things all go to hell, do you kind of train them with the hopes that there will be other people? Or do you usually train them to be like, look, if you're by yourself, this is what you got to do. Well, I, I talk about both sides of it. Um, the big thing I, when I train people, it's about, um, people being honest with themselves. Where's your physical skill level at, uh, where's your, your, um, task skills at level. And, you know, how are you, you know, what, what kind of gear do you have? How good are you with your gear, your knives, your different things? So when they come to me, it's about the individual learning everything they can for themselves to understand the process, um, then we talk about being by yourself versus being with a group. And then, you know, you know, then that comes in different levels. One other person, two other persons or a larger group, there's all kinds of different factors in survival. So when I get a student with me, the students there as an individual, although I do do some teamwork things and team building stuff in my classes, uh, it's about that individual and mastering the basics. Because if they master the basics and they're with a partner that has the basics mastered, uh, one may be good at water sourcing while the other one's better at fire. So, you know, then when you start building teams, man, you're really, you're really helping each other out. Yeah. Is there, I mean, in an ideal situation where you desperately need these skills, is there an ideal number? Like if I told you to put a team together, do you have a number in mind? Never, never. You know, I always say this, a survival situation is going to happen when it happens. You you can't predict when that's going to happen, who you're with, what you're with, and what you have on you. So when a survival situation sh shows itself, you got to count, you got to make a quick, you know, assessment of what's happening, who, who am I with, and get everybody organized pretty quickly. Because in some of these situations, you, you know, you're talking a matter of life and death within, you know, anywhere from seconds to minutes, you know. Um so it, it, there's really not a, a great number. They do talk. Uh, I, I have heard this before that when you're with one other person, you know, you have to develop a very sibling-like uh, bondsmanship with that person. Uh, when you have three, that, they call that the toxic three because one person always uh, feels like the third wheel. Uh, but after that, you start getting into fours and fives. Now you're talking like 
sports type teams, you know, or in the military, a fire team is four. And so it, it, it starts becoming, you know, where we start having a group dynamic. Someone's got to be the leader who's doing what, you know, it, it, it it's, uh, I find it, it's a little easier. Well, not easier when you're in four, four and above. Now you're having to, you know, just be more better organized and that has to have a certain flow to it. You know, if, if one of the, one of the uh, people in the group is not doing their part or whatever. Now you have a lot of social dynamics that you gotta, you gotta deal with. So the more people you have, I always say the more problems you'll have, uh, the lesser the people, um, the lesser the people problems, but some of the other problems start, you know, showing themselves uh, on the other side of the coin. Certainly where you're like, it's much easier to do heavy lifting with two, but a lot easier to do some of this other stuff with just one. Is there a good practice you know, just to make sure that you have some skill level as a leader, you know, if you're going to be practicing with survival, just in case you end up in one of these situations, you don't want to have four like individual survivalists who have no leadership experience between them. Yeah. The the, the thing is you have to look at, I always say, put your proverbial resumes on the table. What have you been doing for your life? What has your career been? And, and and if you happen to wind up with four people that are all been followers or just clerks or whatever, um, someone is going to rise to the occasion. As things get tougher, somebody is going to be the natural leader that's going to rise up. Um, some of that could be inside them and they don't even know it. Could be as as much as that they're an alpha and didn't even know it based on their zodiac sign. You know, just those kind of things will eventually work themselves out because when everybody tries to do group think and they, and everyone wants to go this way and someone wants to go that way and that way and this way, that doesn't work. Someone has to make, someone has to be in charge to make the tough decisions when nobody else can. And so the, the, the group of four that doesn't have a lot of leadership experience is going to have to, they're going to have to figure that out. And, um, and of course it's always easier when there's a, a former military person in the group or an Eagle scout or somebody that runs a, you know, a, that runs a fire department or even a coach that runs a, a, a sports team in high school. But uh, getting back to that, I would just say in terms of training, there's lots of exercises that you can do online. I found actually where people like to dog out uh, video games. There are certain ones where you're working together as a group uh, like Call of Duty, for instance, or some of these like World of Warcraft or whatever. And if you're in these little groups, you know, you're trying to work together so you can develop some teamwork and some leadership through those processes. And uh, even in the military, I remember we started using some video games to help with that process and train our young leaders. There's also a lot of um, there's some courses out there that people will offer up. I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't really researched into them. A lot. I do some team building courses uh, as well. And a lot of that goes back to the military's uh, leader reaction courses, present somebody problems and watch them work through it. I have done it with my students where I'll get four of them together and go, okay, you need to go over there and you need to build a particular shelter that will house all for you. And then you just kind of sit back and watch the process and see if anyone raises up to be, you know, they're more good at engineering and they become the leader of the task. You know, I remember when me, Jeff and uh, me, Jeff and Hakeem were out on our very first XL, which was the first one being filmed, the 40 day challenge on Naked Afraid. And we were in the alpha male group and we started looking at everyone's strengths. And 
Hakeem was very good at building stuff. He had built a really good shelter on his first challenge. So we just put Hakeem in charge of the shelter building process. Jeff was an amazing hunter and fisherman. So we put him in charge of getting our, getting us uh, organized to go after food. And then I took care of the other things where, you know, the dynamics of uh, water processing, fire building, and then foraging, you know? And so we all had our roles and what we were in charge of. And that worked well when you had three alphas who were all, you know, all considered themselves leaders in a group. Uh, it, it worked out pretty good. So say they were putting together a group for Naked and Afraid where it's like absolute rookies. And you're like, okay, we're going to let you know you're going out into the wilderness totally naked. What are like their top things they should be trying to learn before they're getting you know thrown out into the wilderness? What are the top tricks and tips? Well, the biggest things uh, to to work on the core four first, and uh, you know, there's nine pillars of survival, and the core four are shelter, fire, water, and food. The laws of three say you can go no longer than, and I'll, there's a few, but we'll we'll just start with shelter and security. You can't go no more than three hours without some kind of shelter and security, meaning you have a spear in your hand to feel safe, and you're working towards getting to a shelter. You got to protect your core body temperature. Um, you can't go more than three days without water or three weeks without food. Uh, so if you're only out there on a three-week challenge, chances are if you've got fire, water, and shelter protecting your core body heat, whether it's keeping it cool or keeping it warm for the cold, uh, you should, you, you, you'll be weathered, but if you don't eat a thing, uh, you'll make it to the three weeks. Uh, you'll, you'll be ready for a cheeseburger for sure. Uh, so what I would say to rookies is the first thing is get familiar with working with the tool. Whether it's a knife or an axe, your chosen tool, don't get one just because EJ Snyder has this big knife. I want to use EJ's knife. You got to get one that you're comfortable with and that works for you and your skill set. You need to assess yourself. Um, you know, hopefully you've you've you know you're in good physical shape and you're healthy. Uh, so you really want to understand how to operate with that tool. Everything from you know making notches uh, in sticks, sharpening sticks down to make points for spears you know, building shelters, you know, having to chop and process wood, knowing how to use that tools is key. Next thing, uh, it depends on the situation, but fire and water are both probably one can go before the other or vice versa, depending on the situation. Uh, you're definitely going to want to get a fire up and know how to make fire. Now, I'm not saying a rookie's going to go out there and be able to do primitive fire, but if they're going to give them a fire starter, whether it's a, just a ferrod or a magnesium uh, bar that's part with the ferro rod. It's, a, it's just an magnesium's an enhancer to, to start a fire. You need to know the principles of fire making. It's not just getting the spark, but you want to know how to make a nice tinder bundle, which is the bird's nest, the tinder bundle. So when you do get a spark going, you 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 know you get your fire up. You're going to have the wood process and ready to go. You want to have a dry area. So the principles of fire making are something they need to learn. It's not just about the spark. It's about the materials. When stuff's wet, how to how to get to the inner side where it's drier uh, and make it better. Uh, and then water, how to find good water, processed water. You know, what what's the method? A lot of people overboil water. Water only needs to boil for a whole minute at a rolling, uh, rolling, bu uh, rolling boil for one minute. I finally got that out. Big bubbles, little troubles. People want to boil it for 10 minutes. And I'm like, well, that makes you feel better, but you're just evaporating all the good water. It just needs to boil hot for uh, that that time length for one minute. 
Now, if you get up over, if you get to 5,000 feet altitude, then you're going to boil it for an additional minute. And then every thousand feet after that, another minute. And um, you also want to make sure that you can cover up whatever your pot container is. If it doesn't come with a lid, you want to try to make something to trap the water from evaporating. And because uh, that's a big problem we had. And when I was on my first challenge in Africa is we didn't have a lid. So we were evaporating half the water. Um, and so once that water's boiled, it's all safe to drink. It's going to kill all the pathogens in it and everything. There's some other techniques you can do to help the taste and clear up the water with primitive filters and stuff. Uh, but those three key things, you know, uh, and everyone says, what's in your survival kit? What are the three main things? Uh, that you would bring out there. And the first one is definitely your survival tool. The second thing is a fire starter. And the third thing would be some kind of a pot or container to boil water in. And I tell people all the time, if you leave your house without having a lighter in one pocket and a second lighter in the other, you're an idiot because fire is super fickle. And you want to get that fire because you're, you're, you know, fire, I believe, is the base for all other things. It's uh, morale because it, it lights up the area. You can see. Uh, it, it, it keeps you warm, warms your body. Um, it's, it's just comforting. It keeps predators away. You can cook your food, boil your water in it, fire hardened weapons. Uh, there's so much that fire can do and produce for you. Yeah, certainly. And I, I had some questions, but the, the first thing that popped up is I didn't know that elevation affected like water boiling practices. Yes, because well, and here's the, the situation with the fire triangle, which is heat oxygen and fuel as you get higher in elevation your oxygen gets lower you know you got less of it and uh so that can it becomes very problematic when you're trying to burn fires so the fire's not going to burn as hot so is this one of those things that you could almost like work backwards through if i was just trying to passively like develop these skills over a long period of time like i could start making fires with a lighter and then slowly go backwards to like, okay, now I've got a rod and then go backwards all the way until I'm like, all yeah, of that's these two sticks. <laughs> and I don't call it backwards. I call that frontwards thinking because, you know, you're going to, you know, everyone's going to have access to a lighter. So I start with the modern tools first of things that everyday people would have the everyday Joe or Joan. And then I, and like you said, you, you do work backwards, I guess. Uh, but uh, no, I always start with that and you've got the right process in mind. Then you go to just a spark, then adding some magnesium, maybe a cotton ball with petroleum jelly. And then you work your way into the primitive methods of either bow drill, hand drill, uh, fire plow, bamboo fire saw, pump drill, whatever it is that you want to try. And you can kind of do that with all of that to an extent, right? Like you can work with a more modern tool and then slowly remove all the comfort of our advancement in technology. Absolutely. And the better you get at doing more with less, like uh, for instance, if I can uh, process cordage by using vines and roots, uh, that's one less item I have to worry about in my kit. Uh, the say power cord, you know, I can, I can light my kit by being able to substitute natural items. Uh, but also, I like to substitute natural items so I can continue to keep my resource on me for when I really need it. So when I really need that power cord, I have it. And I didn't cut it all up just to make a shelter where I could have used some vines or roots to tie some of the logs together. Yeah, and that's especially important when you're talking like resource management over the course of, say, 60 days. Where you're yes, like, hey, if I, if I burn all of my resources in week one, like 
the rest of this is going to be very uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, obviously as this, you know, discovery has gotten very big and Naked and Afraid's gotten very popular and survivalism's kind of spreading out, have you seen a lot of things where you're like, there's no need for this or it's just wildly overrated and I don't know why we're doing it? Um, I never poo-poo on any techniques. Um, a lot uh, for me, survival simple. Just don't die. If it worked and you didn't die, guess what? It's a survival tactic. It may not go by the book. Some people might argue about protocols, but nothing was ever in a survival book until somebody tried and failed. No, I mean that's absolutely. And so I don't fair. like if I see somebody doing something, it seems silly. Um, yes, yeah, like yeah, maybe I would have probably tried this before that, but you know, at least they're trying something. Uh, I see people get uh, beat up on social media all the time for things they do. And it's just like, well, if you're so good, go, I don't see you signing up. Why? Where's your name? You haven't signed up yet. And it just, uh, you know, there, there is a redundancy of things I've seen people do. And it's like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way, but okay. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, for me, if, as long as you didn't kill anybody, hurt yourself or damage anything, uh, detrimental in terms of gear or, or or a shelter or whatever uh you know there's a lot more things to be getting upset about than than that gotcha it's one of those where it's like this might not be optimal but they'll learn that along the way and maybe they'll figure out you know what i've already known but i can't shove it down their throats until they're ready to hear it yeah oh awesome well i mean this has been extremely educational i have appreciated your time immensely thank you so much for doing this I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Love to come back some other time. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you again, just in case they, uh, they're they now ready to hear more. Okay. Uh, if you want to find me, go to www.ejsteiner.com. You can link up with all my social medias there, but please subscribe to my email list so you can get all the blogs and all the updates and sales that we have going on over the website. Check out the website. If you see something that you would wish uh, for me to be a part of, whether it's a speaking engagement or team building exercise or teaching survival, just fill out a contact form. We're having a little, uh, uh, we're revamping the website right now. So just bear with us, but there is some good information there. Uh, and then for all the social medias, Instagram X clapper and TikTok, it's at EJ Snyder three, three, three. And for Facebook and YouTube, it is EJ Snyder. All right. Fantastic. Everyone, please go check those out. Sign up. This is all very good information. EJ, thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate you, Colton, and uh, you have a great day. What a guy, and with so many cool stories. So what do you think? Do you have a decent shot at survival? Or does your outdoor resume have as many gaps as mine does? We've made it to the end of the year, though I can't believe how fast we've gotten here. So here are the new and slightly strange rankings. Number one, the United States, led by New York, South Carolina, and Texas. Number two, Germany, upsetting everything about the rankings, taking that number two slot and threatening to win against the U.S. for number one. They are led by Berlin. Number three, the United Kingdom, with England maintaining a small lead over Scotland. Number four, France. Tied with Ireland. What a shakeup this list has been so far. And number five, Australia, with Queensland responsible for their place on this list. 
That's it for this episode. Have a great week, a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here for the next episode. Until the next episode, please remember to do all those things that help the show. Rating, reviewing, liking, subscribing, buying from our sponsors, perhaps. You can also reach out to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social medias if you'd like to reach me personally. But most importantly, stay dumb.